Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. We're so thankful that you chose to join us today, and we are so grateful that you're a part of our community. A couple updates and reminders in the life of our community before we get to today's teaching. First of all, we're in the liturgical season of Lent, and every week during Lent, we're going to be entering into a practice together as a community called Eucharist, or Communion. Now let's get this out of the way. At South Bend City Church, we believe that anyone that wants to be at the table with Jesus can be at the table with Jesus and is welcome there. And so whatever you believe, wherever you're coming from, whether it's your first time listening to this podcast, whatever kind of week you had, we believe that Jesus had no restrictions on who could be at the table. And so we believe that as well. So if you want to join us when we get there, make sure to have some form of cracker or bread and some form of juice or wine. And I'll jump back in to guide us through that time. Some other reminders of things happening over this liturgical season, because it's also moving season in the life of our church. We're getting ready to move from our current location, our home for the last couple of years, Studebaker 112, to our new home at the Tribune. So this Sunday, March 3rd, is actually going to be our last Sunday in Studebaker. It's been a beautiful home for us, and the building has so many memories held within its walls. So during our gatherings, we're going to take some time to say thank you and to share with one another the way in which that physical location and the spirit of it and the spirit of South Bend City Church has impacted our lives. If you've been to Studebaker 112 but can't be with us in person this weekend and want to share your gratitude for the space or for the church, feel free to email me by going to the link in the show notes below. And we'll make sure that that's shared this weekend as well. After the third, we take a Sunday off from our normal gatherings on March 10th, but we still gather together through our workday. This is a chance for us to move our physical belongings from Studebaker to the Tribune in preparation for the following week, March 17th, where we will have our first gatherings in our new home. We're so excited for that, but there's a lot of work to be done in the meantime, and so we've set up some work days, Tuesdays and Thursday nights from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 12. You can find all this information on our social media pages or in the link in the show notes below. But if you want to give of your time in that way and get your hands on the project, that would be the way to do so. After we celebrate our new home on March 17th, on March 24th, we head into Palm Sunday, and then we're into Holy Week. And just a reminder that Good Friday is coming up, and on March 29th, on Good Friday, at 12 noon, we'll have a Good Friday liturgy that will also be available on the podcast on the same day if you're listening from afar. And on Easter, we decided to shift our gatherings earlier and also add a third one in anticipation of more people joining us that day. So our Easter gatherings in person at the Tribune will be at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Insider tip, the 10 o'clock will probably get full. So if you want to shift to 8.30 or 11.30 to make yourselves more comfortable, we encourage you to do that. Once again, it's a crazy time in the life of our community, but it's a beautiful time. But we just wanted to take a pause and say thank you. Thank you for the ways in which you show up in this community. The way you give of your energy and your time and your finances because without it, we wouldn't be able to be where we are. And so thank you. If you want to continue to give financially, you can do so by going to the link in the show notes below. Or like I said, if you want to give of your time and get your hands on the project, the work days are a great way to do that. Now we've heard from some of our long distance community members that they want to help during this move, but don't know how because they don't live in South Bend. 
Well, if that's you, feel free to email info at southbendcitychurch.com. We've got some opportunities to help, one of which is to sponsor a workday. And basically what that means is just helping us get snacks and water and maybe some pizza to the volunteers that are helping during those workdays. But we'll continue to think of ways, or if you have ideas, send those to info at southbendcitychurch.com. All right. So this week, we talked about how the only antidote to bad religion is good religion. So as we approach our move to the Tribune, we took a Sunday to consider why any of this matters, what's at stake, and how we can help. With so many reasons to give up on church, why invest in it? We explore all of that and more this weekend. Thanks again for joining us. Let's jump in with the rest of our community now. Uh, A little while ago, like two weeks ago, I was hanging out with a friend of mine named Chris. Chris and I were across uh, an outdoor table together uh, having a cigar and talking about life and work. And I I love hearing about Chris's work uh, because of what he does. So Chris is an attorney, and he's actually a literary agent. And the reason we're friends is he helps me if I want to write a book, and you got to get a deal. And so Chris has been doing this work for like 20 years. And one of the reasons I sought Chris out was that he has represented other authors and work that I really believe in. And when you're gonna find an advocate, which is the job of your agent, you wanna find somebody who can really get behind the work that you're doing. And so that kind of alignment really mattered. And what that means is that Chris has really crazy stories to tell about like like really famous Christian people uh, that you know and I know. And um, it's just interesting to gain his perspective because for 20 years, Chris has been on the inside of a lot of spaces. And some of that's really fun and interesting. And a lot of it's really troubling. You know, he's seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful uh, because of his work and where he's been. And so we're talking about all of that at one point, and then later in the conversation, conversation turns to our work here in South Bend with the church and the building project, the Tribune, and the fundraising, and the, and the construction, and the planning. And then Chris catches me off guard. Now, remember, Chris, is, like, his job is to be my advocate. Like, literally, that's his job, right? So when Chris looks at me and says to me, Hey, how do you justify doing that? I was like, not you, man. Not you, right? <laughs> if this sounds familiar to you, maybe you remember like two years ago, I told you another story. I was on a trip with friends, and one of my friends brought one of her friends to the table, and her friend happened to be a, a, an atheist finance bro from Norway who was drunk. And just so you know, I don't like judge any of those things in particular, maybe one more than the other, whatever, but like he really came at me. And I told you that story then about how for like three or four hours during that dinner, he just assailed me with accusations about how inherently and intrinsically corrupt he thinks it is to like build a church and to do ministry stuff, right? So I told you that story. So maybe this sounds familiar to you, but that's why when my own agent says to me, how do you justify this? For a moment, I was like, a tu brute? You know, like how dare you betray me, right? But then I thought about like, how this comes from everywhere because everybody has seen so much. And I thought about his own experience. And by the way, it, um, I feel very loved and supported by my friend Chris, and he's in my corner. And I don't think he offered that question as a, an accusation. I think he was just genuinely curious how I think about all of this. And I found myself telling Chris the same thing that I told the angry atheist drunk finance bro Nor- Norwegian, uh, which is that I don't think human beings are getting less religious. And the only antidote to bad religion is good religion. I really believe that. Now, I want to work these terms out with you for a moment today. This is kind of a case that I want to make. 
Uh, when I say religion, you might wonder what I mean by that, because you might mean something different. In fact, sometimes in church spaces, uh, especially like Protestant spaces, sometimes we set up like religion as bad and then Jesus or gospel as good, as if they're separate things. That's not the way I'm using the word religion today, just so you know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking of religion in a way that includes what we are doing here, because I don't know if you know this, but this is a religious enterprise. Uh, welcome to South and City Church. But let me explain more what I mean by religion, because I think as I explain this, you'll see why I say that there's no such thing as being irreligious. Uh, it's just a question of whether it's good or bad religion, and we all do it. So first of all, by religion, I mean um, the use of larger narratives. Big sweeping stories that we use to understand the world that we are in and the lives that we are living. And we all do it whether you know it or not. Now, maybe you're not thinking that way, but let me uh, give a few examples. Maybe this helps. If you have a really bad day, I mean, like nothing goes your way. Maybe it's at work or in your family system. You just have a really bad day. The way that you interpret that bad day is probably a result of whatever larger story you think that you are in. Like, like if you think that um, you just deserve that, because of who you are and where you've come from and what you've done and you've sort of built up a story of shame about yourself, the way that you interpret that bad day is an indicator of what kind of story you think you were living in, right? Or, you know, alternatively, you could say, man, we don't always know why bad things happen, but we know that there are always invitations for growth and that something can sustain you on a hard day even in spite of the things that have happened. That's a different story that you believe about what you're living through, right? Or how about when big things happen in the news, like a really bad headline? something violent or destructive or chaotic, well, the way you interpret that headline will tell you a lot about the larger narrative that you are trusting, right? So if you, if you see a, a bad story in the headline, maybe you think eh, this is just how things go. Things just fall apart. There's nothing holding it together. There's nothing holding us together. And over time, there's more entropy and chaos, and that's just the way things go. That's a big story, right? Or maybe uh, you see something happening in the news that's violent or catastrophic, and you think essentially like there is those other evil people and because those other evil people are out there, this is how we end up with stuff like this. And that's a story. It's a sort of us versus them story of reality, right? We all have larger narratives, whether you know it or not, whether you name it or not. And religion works with larger narratives and good religion gives you true stories that, that lead toward healing, right? And bad religion gives you false stories that lead toward harm. Uh, here's another uh, thing I mean by religion. Objects of devotion. And we all have them, right? We all orient our lives around something that we think is worthy of our energy, our attention, our trust. Some of those objects of devotion are worthy, some of them are not. And the quality and character of your life is sometimes determined by whether you find a worthy object of devotion or an unworthy one. Uh, let's talk about politics, because that's always fun. Uh, <laughs> One thing that we're having a hard time with right now is sifting and sorting the difference between, on the one hand, if, if God is truly your object of devotion, the revelation of God that you see like in Jesus, the sort of self-giving love that you see, if, if that's your object of devotion, and, and then you can sort of look around at the politics and the politicians and you try to figure out what and who to support in light of that higher object of devotion, that's one thing. We're having a hard time sifting and sorting between that on the one hand and on the other, when in fact the politicians and the politics become our objects of devotion, and then we take any image or understanding of God and make it subservient to those objects of devotion, like we're having a hard time with that right now, right? But whether it's the one or the other, either way, human beings do this. We devote our lives, we give ourselves over to objects that we think are worthy, causes that we think are worthy, 
ends that we pursue that we think are worthy. You can call it religion or you cannot, but it's happening. And I think the best thing to do is to choose worthy ones, and you might call that religious. Uh, tangible practices uh, is another feature of religion. And of course, like churches and religious communities have practices, uh, this Eucharist meal for us will be a tangible practice before we leave today. Uh, but tangible practices show up in religious ways far beyond the spaces that we call church. I was thinking about a couple of these, and I'm not saying these in a negative light, just observing. Uh, I was thinking about Notre Dame football games. And, you know, at the, at the end of the game, there's that moment, particular to Notre Dame football, where we all sing the alma mater, right? And the team stands over by the student section. People wrap their arms around each other and sing that song. I mean, that's a tangible practice that's part of the religion of Notre Dame football, right? Uh, what about this tangible practice um, that's tied to the kind of consumer world that we live in? What does everybody do the day after Thanksgiving? Right? Yeah, shop. And I'm not, like, throwing shade at that. I'm just observing, right, that that's part of a larger story of consumerism and commodities and being American and, like, what are we doing during that Thanksgiving holiday but going out and getting more, 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 right? Uh, tangible practices, whether they show up in explicitly religious spaces or not, they shape us and they speak to us about who we are, whether we know it or not. And then one more note about religion. Uh, I'm also speaking of communities of belonging, Right? Now, um, that can sound really beautiful. Uh, at its worst, like bad religion creates communities of belonging by excluding people. And that's a, a very effective way to help some people feel like they belong to each other by basically saying, we belong to each other because we are not them. I mean, that can be a way of forging belonging. I think it's a dark, evil, twisted way of doing so. And it runs totally contrary to the way that Jesus builds belonging in the Gospels. But it can happen. And this underscores all over again that, like, if you don't like bad religion, you better build some good religion because human beings can't help but seek communities of belonging. And the question is, are you going to do that in a way that's healthy and holy and good? Or are you going to do that in a way that's destructive and that reinforces the kinds of lines of violence and separation that are breaking the world right now? So when I talk about religion, I'm talking at least about this, and we could probably list some other things, but I'm talking about the stories that we tell about meaning and reality. I'm talking about the things that we think are worthy of our lives and our energies. I'm talking about the tangible, active ways that we embody these things, and I'm talking about the community that we forge with one another. And whether you like it or not, we do this, don't we? And I think the question is whether we do it in a way that's true and helpful. Um, now, back in January, uh, I began a series, it was meant to be a two-week series, and then it was stifled by bad weather, where we didn't gather for the second week. But I do want to go back and pick up a thread that we began to lay down uh, during that first week of that series. Because back to that larger narrative, when I think about what we're doing and why we're doing it and why it matters in the world that we're living in right now, I think the story that we have to tell, the one that we've inherited, is um, beautiful and true and powerful and important for the moment that we're living in right now. And uh, we can turn to scripture, and I will in a second, but I also love the way that a writer and speaker named Howard Thurman began to name that. And I shared this with you back in January. Uh, Thurman was a phenomenally important voice in the last century. He was a mentor to people like Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, he was both an activist and a mystic, um, a profound man of God who had his own um, strange and beautiful relationship with the mystery at the heart of things, and he wrote about it, and he helped others live further into that. And he was given a baccalaureate speech uh, for graduation when he delivered these words that have become famous from him. At the end of that speech, he says this, there is in every person that which waits, waits, waits and listens 
for the sound of the genuine in herself. And there is that in every person, that which waits, waits and listens for the sound of the genuine in other people. And when these two sounds come together, this is the music God heard when he said, let us make man in our image. Uh, we're turned to a text that you've seen many times in our gatherings, but it really matters for us from Genesis 1, where Thurman gets this big idea. In Genesis 1, God, this is the first word about humanity in the story that Scripture tells. This is the founding impulse of you and me. This is the story of being human in Scripture, where God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That is the beginning of a particular story, of a particular narrative about you and about your neighbor and about your enemy. And if you run with that story, you're probably going to act differently and build a different kind of world than if you run with other stories about what it means to be human. Another way of saying this is like, you are an idea that God had for God to give God's self to the world in some particular way that would only be expressed through you and your beautiful life. And your neighbor is an idea that God had so that God's own life would be expressed in the world in the particular way that only your neighbor can express. And you know what? Your enemy is an idea that God had so that God could express God's self in the world in a way that could only be expressed through that particular life and body and story. And that's a very different story than the ones that are being told about you and me and our neighbors and our enemies. So many stories that are being told about us right now suggest, for example, that you and I are commodities, that you and others, that we're all only what we can produce in some kind of material way, right? That's a different story about being human. Uh, we are hearing stories about ourselves and others that suggest that we are only what we can control, can you make yourself powerful over everything? And the more control you have over other people or other things, the more that you matter and the less that you do, the less that you matter. That's a different story about being human, but we are hearing that left and right. Or that you or your neighbor or your enemy or some other person or some other kind of person is here to be exploited or used. Somehow less than the fullness of a human. Those are other stories that are being told, other ways of thinking about being human. But over and against all those stories, we have this story that says you and your neighbor and your enemy are all divine ideas given to the world that God could express God's self to the world in some particular and beautiful way. That's an important story. I don't want to give up on that. I don't want to surrender the storytelling to these inferior stories that are being told about you and me and everybody else. I don't want to give up on that. Now, speaking of giving up on it, though, it, it can feel like it has been given up on or lost, right? It can feel that the calling of that text and the longing of it has been frustrated, right? Has been ended, has been brought to a sort of falling apart end where it phases out. Uh, scripture has that feeling. You read Genesis 1 and then you read further along and there's lots of falling apart. And there's lots of breaking happening. There's lots of infidelity and infighting and all these problems happening. And you can look around the world and, and see very little of what seems like the image of God born through human lives. And you can see really profound acts of desecration being committed against that image. You can see so many people hanging their heads believing that image is not true of them or others. You can see all kinds of reasons to give up on it. But the scriptural story doesn't. It reasserts it in a very particular and profound way. Uh, the next move, maybe you see it coming, maybe it's annoying when the pastor makes this move because you expect it, but it, it's there in the text. This is what the text does. 
Uh, the text says that the reassertion, the renewal, the refreshing of this whole story happens in Jesus. Or in some strange way that we continue to wonder at the rest of our lives, that God has given God's own life and image to Jesus, and that in that life we see the renewal, the reassertion of this for all of us. Uh, Colossians says it like this. This is a letter in the New Testament that says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, and your ears ought to ring. You go, oh yeah, I've heard this story, right? That was a story about all of us. And then we read the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And like, I'm just here to tell you, uh, the more I like, read the Gospels and sit with the actual person of Jesus, um, the less he resembles a lot of what I heard about him. <laughs> um, but the more I believe and discover that there's a, there is a renewal happening, there, a reassertion, a, a re-giving of this whole calling, not just for him, but for all of us there, that there's this kind of wild, liberating, creative, unruly energy channeling through his life that somehow makes room for all of our lives, that somehow the image of God in him somehow makes room for the image of God in all of us in unique and beautiful ways. Uh, maybe you've had that feeling, maybe you haven't, but perhaps you've, you've been reading those gospel stories or you've heard something about who he was or what he did, and what you realized was it wasn't just your brain at work, but there was something like deeper within you that was being stirred, that was being called out, raised up, that that, that image of God in you like recognized like to like there that the deep in you saw the deep in him and knew there was something that you had in common there. Uh, that's that story being carried forward, not just through Jesus, but to you and me. Uh, how about this? Uh, to move the story even further, to speak more of you and me, uh, let's go to Romans. Did you all know we're doing a series on Romans? Yeah, hey, we got it, we got it. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning, Paul says, through Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. So like whether you believe it or find that credible, the story that scripture is trying to tell is that God had an idea that God would live God's own life through humanity, that God would express God's self through humanity. And God didn't give up on that idea even when humanity gave up on it. And God reasserted that identity, that idea, that dream in Christ. But God didn't stop there because the point and purpose of Jesus showing up and doing that was that you and I would be renewed in our own story as bearers of that divine image. That's a larger narrative that I can get behind. That's a larger narrative that I think is worth all of our time and our energy, all of our work, right? Now, a lot of what happens is that we end up with like me and my personal Jesus, um, which I understand and there's reasons for that especially if you've inhabited spaces or systems that called themselves uh, like Jesus spaces, but in fact didn't treat you the way Jesus would treat you, or if you've um, been under leadership that just like miserably failed at the task of trying to live up to those things. I get that. Like maybe you've had a lot of reason for you and your personal Jesus. Or maybe um, during COVID, you like all of us just, you realize it was just you and your kind of private experience of faith because we weren't able to be together in a thing called church. I get that. And there was probably some good that came from all of that. Maybe it was a chance to rethink what you want to be a part of or why you would show up for that. And yet, I think a lot of us also realized at some point, like me and my personal Jesus just doesn't cut it. And so like, you can be as anti-church as you want to be. And by the way, you may not believe me. I am telling you, you think you've had anti-church thoughts? Believe me, I've had anti-church thoughts. <laughs> like you think you've seen the bad? I've seen the bad. Like 
I'm not up here um, with, without empathy for the idea that the church thing just doesn't matter anymore. I get all the reasons that we would want to walk away from it. But here's what happens, right? So you start with you and your personal Jesus because you want to believe like a better story, like a better narrative, right? And you discover that there's some, something worthy of real devotion there. And it's loftier and more beautiful than all the kind of petty idols that we pursue, right? So you begin to give yourself to that. And you even seek out like some tangible practices to be a part of that. But at some point you're like, I would like to not do this alone, <laughs> And maybe you're like, I could use some wisdom from other perspectives on all of this, right? Because whatever God is, God's bigger than me. And so if I want more of God, I might need some other people to be a part of this, right? And before you know it, whether you like it or not, in spite of all your best efforts to avoid it, you end up at a church. You know what I'm saying? You're like, ah, oh, tear it all down, get rid of all of it. I'm just going to start with first principles, me and my personal Jesus. I want to like, get back to that God story. Good, beautiful, Yeah. But at some point, like, I don't know how you avoid some version of this. Now, it doesn't have to look like South and City Church. I'm not saying that. But I don't know how you avoid some version of this right here. And that's, I'll just say for me, that's how I ended up here. Because <laughs> there's plenty of me that would rather be in a different line of work. That sidesteps all the landmines and all the baggage and leaves me not being accused both by drunk atheist finance bro Norwegians and my agent of being a part of something that might be suspect. I would rather like have some other line of work, right? That would be nice. Um, but I, I can't shake the conviction that you, you're going to end up back here. I mean, here meaning some version of this. If you want better religion in the face of all the bad religion, I don't know what else you're going to do. And so here we are. And I tell you this uh, for reasons I'll say more about in a minute. Um, but like, like with Southland City Church, uh, we began with a kind of experimental dream, um, wondering if we could do a version of this that would be better. And by the way, when I say better, I hope you know, I don't think we've nailed it. And this doesn't mean there aren't other incredible communities of faith that we have so much to learn from. I'm not trying to like um, paint us as the golden children of the kingdom, like we're God's gift to the world. I'm not trying to say that. But I am trying to say we're reaching for something here. And we believe in some things here. And there were some founding convictions that have shaped us from the beginning um, that matter in a world with so much bad religion. Uh, for example, one of the parts of the dream was that um, we would actually go further back to older versions of Christian faith. Do you know a lot of what calls itself traditional and biblical and original is about 200 years old? That's not a joke. Did you know that? A lot of what people scream about being the old ways, the traditional ways, go back like two, three hundred, five hundred years. What's crazy is if you go back farther, if you go like to the 200s and the 300s and you read these vibrant sources of early Christianity, they often sound a lot like what now gets called like new age or progressive in some ways. It's kind of mind blowing. But one of our dreams is that we would go back deeper and further into the tradition because we need all of that to help us right now. Uh, a dream for Southland City Church was that we would um, hear from diverse voices, that it wouldn't just be people who look like me that shape everything. Uh, we dreamed along the lines of that ancient resource, and we dreamed of a place that like, had some good theology to it, um, like some good scholarship. Like, like I had the privilege of going to grad school to study theology. You shouldn't have to go to grad school to get the goods. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so often I'd be in grad school, <clears throat> paying for grad school, uh, Spending lots of time and money on grad school thinking, why did I have to spend all this time and money when the church should have been the place where I got the goods, right? Side note, far too many pastors have just convinced themselves that you all can't handle it or don't want it. Um, I don't believe that about you. Uh, we dreamed of a church where doubt and faith could be held together in a community in the same way they are held together in Scripture. 
It's quite staggering that a lot of our faith spaces, religious spaces, have less room for wrestling and question asking than Scripture itself does. When in the pages of Scripture, you have side by side affirmations of profound faith and conviction right next to staggering doubt and loss. You got prayers that pray, God, you are everything and I know you are with me, right next to prayers that say, God, where the hell are you? It's all there side by side, and I don't know why church couldn't be a place where all that's held together too. We dreamed of a church where our Sunday mornings, uh, we would call them liturgically promiscuous, uh, which is a way of saying that we would borrow from many different streams and ways of praying and practicing and singing and studying because uh, there's just so much richness out there, and we don't want to like, lock ourselves into one f- small lane. And i got to tell you, uh, we are this many years into what still feels like an experiment to me because I don't know if we can get away with this. But we seem to be getting away with it, <laughs> at least to some degree. Um, I have this thought a lot that we're getting away with something here, and I like that feeling. <laughs> I don't think it should entirely make sense. Because the stuff that makes sense is tired and old, and it's too easy, and we can do that in our sleep, and it doesn't give a lot of life. Uh, I can't tell you how many different ways I've been told that you can't do this. And by this, I mean the peculiarity of the experiment that we call South and City Church. Um, I've been told you can't do like real theology on Sunday mornings. People don't want it. Just give them, you know, a little taste of something and then send them back on their ways because people are too busy or too tired or too cynical or too selfish to really like wrestle with these things. And I don't believe that. And so far, it sounds like they were wrong. Um... I was told that you can't talk about social issues on Sunday. That it's just too divisive and people can't handle it. And if you do that, you're, gonna, you're just going to like, the thing's going to burn down because people are so angry and energized around all these social issues. You can't do it. And yet, um, I'm not saying we've done this perfectly or consistently, but we've tried it and we're here. Um, I've been told you can't include LGBTQ people, period. And the truth is that for every person who believes that doctrinally, somebody else just thinks you can't fund a church while you do it. Uh, Even with the Tribune project, um, as we were getting ready to embark on the fundraising effort to purchase and renovate that building, we sought out wisdom from people uh, who have worked with many, many churches on projects like that. And that's a really good thing to do, right? We've never done this before. We've never tried to raise millions of dollars. And so I'm thankful for these wise voices that came along. Um, But one of the things we heard from wise voices was um, you you got strikes against you. And one of those strikes is that you include LGBTQ people, and money doesn't show up for churches like that. Um, and yet here we are. And phase one is like fully funded, and yeah, that's... And even as I say that, I've been told you can't build a church um, where people believe and think different things. And I know the issue I just named is an example of that. Um, and yet every day I get to talk with those of you who share time and space and tables with me, and I find out that we have a beautifully diverse community of belief here. And uh, I'm really grateful for that. And the minute that everybody at South and City Church thinks and believes all the same things, I will quit, or better yet, I should get fired. Because that will mean that we build a church around um, intellectual agreement rather than the, the mystery that meets us at this table. Uh, people coming from all sorts of backgrounds of belief and doubt who are finding that love meets us here and calls us to one another. Um, So here we are, and I think this project matters. And I think a lot of you believe that too. And we're uh, on the eve of our move into the Tribune, and that's the reason for the timing of all this. Um, One of the things I'm not great at is like like galvanizing this community. (laughs) 
Um, the pep rally is hard for me. <laughs> I don't really like doing pep rallies. Uh, but occasionally it's my job. You all know that, right? Um, it's like if you're a parent, you know, like um, sometimes your job is to be the most proud of and the most in love with your kids of anyone. And by the way, I think I'm a, about as proud and in love with SBCC as any pastor is of any church they've ever led. Uh, but sometimes if you're the parent, your job is to challenge, right? <laughs> to say, all right, team, like we're about to do something new. Let's do it well. And I feel some of that today. Um, I've said over and over again, I don't want to make too much of the new building but I also don't want to make too little of it. Because the fact is we are about to go from um, being perceived as a scrappy little insurgency in a back corner of town behind a gate that's hard to find, uh, to, to occupying a very prominent facade in the heart of downtown. And whether you like it or not, and whether you think it or not, that changes some of the expectations that the city around us puts on us. And some of those expectations, we can shrug them off, but not all of them. Some of them we should live up to, right? And I'm looking at a church that has lived up in beautiful and profound ways, and I just want to say keep going and recognize that this is a moment to think about how it is that we live up and how it is that we do that, what we do and what's our part in all of that. Um, and more specifically, just to like really put it on the nose, um, I have an ask of all of you. Uh, not all of you. No, sorry. I have, for, for those of you who would say you believe in this and you think it matters, and by the way, if that's not you, I love that you're here. But for those of you who would say you believe in this and you think it matters, here's my ask. That between now and Easter, like as we make this move, would, would you just take some time to think about like what it is that you contribute to this communal experiment and to ask yourself if you would like to do something more or different? Um, the answer might be no, by the way. Maybe you sit with that question and you discern it long enough and you realize, no, like what you're doing right now is just right for you. That's great. If that's what comes from that discernment, I totally respect that. But what a great moment for all of us, and I'm throwing myself into this too, to just take a look at like what's your current sort of way of being a part of this thing? Um, contributing to it, investing in it, making it possible. And is this a moment where you would like to take another step, right? Um, let me give you a few examples of ways that you could do that in case this helps. The first uh, area that I want to talk about is like so accessible and simple, but we don't talk about it enough, so I just want to remind you of it. And it has to do with a couple of Facebook spaces that we've created. We have two groups online. A lot of you know about them, but not everyone. One's called the South Bend City Church Collective, One's called the South Bend City Church Open Forum. Uh, these are private groups that we will let you into that you can be a part of. The collective, it's really simple. That's where you go if you want to say, hey, South Bend City Church, here's what I'm up to. Would you like to join me? What's great about that is this is totally democratized. You don't have to like, get it into a Sunday morning announcement or get it approved by the entire staff. Uh, you can just, in a democratic way, speak to the rest of this congregation. As long as it's not contrary to who we are, it's fair game there. It could run the gamut from, on the one hand, hey, I'm like headed to the South Bend Cups for a game Thursday night. Anybody else want to be there? That's great, right? Or it could be at the end of like, I'm volunteering at La Casa de Amistad and I'm helping people train or study for the immigration exams. Anybody else want to help other people figure out their way to call this place home, right? You just got to jump in and say, here's what I'm up to. Anybody want to join me? And if you have nothing to add, go to the collective and join somebody else. It's actually that simple. Just pop in there and see what other people are up to and maybe be a part of that. That could be the simple step for you. Uh, the open forum is a little bit different. If the collective points to things that are happening beyond that online group, the forum, actually, the action is often inside the online group. The forum is a place for questions and conversations and prayer requests and interaction among the members of SBCC that you could be a part of if you'd like to. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't even have Facebook, and I'm pretty sure Jason doesn't have Facebook. That's true. Uh, this is not a perfect tool. It's just the best tool that we've found so far. I understand not everybody's there. Um, 
There's no such thing as a perfect solution for that, but it's a pretty good one. And the, the measure of this tool is mostly a matter of whether you take part in it or not. So that's there, and I'd love to invite you into it. Uh, another way that you could think about your part in this collective experiment called Southland City Church, maybe you see it coming. Are you ready for it? You can volunteer. Yeah. Yeah. We got all kinds of ways for you to show up and volunteer. And I, I genuinely mean this. Often the kind of connection that people are longing for when they show up here is most easily found through volunteering. It's not that we like withhold connection until you volunteer. That's not the case at all. It's just normal and human that often the way we find connection with one another is by doing something together, right? So whether it's a kids ministry room, which by the way, we could use more volunteers in kids ministry, or whether it's greeting people, or whether it's joining the band or working on tech back there. If you go to southlandcitychurch.com volunteer, you'll see a whole menu of options. Let us know what you're interested in, and our staff team will get back to you. They'll walk with you through it to make sure you understand what you might be getting into. Uh, to fill out the form is not to make a lifelong covenant, I promise. It's just to let us know you're interested, and we'll talk further. And then last, and you definitely saw this coming, you could give. Um, uh, let me say a couple of things about this. One, I am absolutely overwhelmed at the generosity of Southland City Church. And I mean that um, on every level. I'm amazed at people who give time when they don't have money to give. I'm amazed at people who give love and care. I'm also, I'm amazed at people who give $10 a month right on schedule. And I don't know anything about that person's background, but all I know is they're giving faithfully every month. And I'm amazed at the people who give more in a week than I make in a month. It takes all of us doing our part, whatever your part is, right? And so I'm not here to like squeeze you, but I'm just here to say like it, it does matter, right? One more note about the financial giving. Actually, two more notes. Uh, one is um, if you're able to, if it fits your life, if this is sort of how your money works, if you're able to schedule an automatic recurring gift, whether it's weekly or monthly or whatever, that really helps us um, make plans and commitments, right? Like, like we can't do this thing without like making a commitment to pay salaries and pay a mortgage and pay utilities. That's just the practical reality of what we are doing. And we make those commitments um, presuming that people who give are going to keep giving. Just that simple, right? And so those automated gifts just help us make responsible decisions and help us keep an eye on cash flow. And so um, if, if that's something that you can do, if that's the step that you want to take right now, it makes a huge difference for us. I also know that um, many in this community, um, that the Tribune Project is that first step that you've taken into financial generosity. And I would just invite you, as that giving period wraps up in the next few months, and maybe you come to the end of your commitment, um, maybe what you've learned is that, that you enjoy giving at that level, and you've never given like that before. And I would say, um, I don't know if you know this, but you can give to the general fund just as much. <laughs> so um, maybe as you come to the end of the giving period for the Tribune, uh, maybe you'll take the moment of reflection and consider what you've learned about your own capacity for generosity, and, <clears throat> and maybe you'll want to convert that to general fund giving, which really makes all of this possible here. Um, that's what I want to say on those uh, areas of opportunity. But the larger invitation is just to say, like, take a moment, maybe. If you believe in this and you think it matters, if you think this is better religion in a world that's not growing less religious, if you see some of that the way that I've shared today, then I would encourage you to take a minute to think about how you are helping make this possible because it matters. Now, um, just this week as I was getting ready for today and thinking about how to approach this, uh, I was flipping through my videos and my, my pictures on my phone, and I stumbled uh, onto a video that I forgot I had. And I was reminded of the feeling that I had during the moment when I captured that video. So the video is from our consecration night at the Tribune. This goes back to last summer in June. 
uh, when we gathered at the Tribune to sing and pray and to put a stake in the ground for what kind of place we want that to be. Uh, we actually taped out the outline of the stage just so we could kind of feel it. And we brought the sacred rug with us <laughs> so we could put some mojo in the room. You know what I'm saying? Um, and we stood in a circle there and we sang a song that we've sung before. We sang, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And here's the thing, guys. I, if you all knew all of the layers of my own baggage and all the, like, hitches in my own stuff that I have around, like, worship music and, like, theology and stuff, if you had any idea, like, all of the things going on up here, you would be concerned that I'm your pastor. But, uh, <laughs> but I remember, like, for, my, for myself thinking, like, man, Jay, for a minute, stop. Forget about all the baggage because there's baggage everywhere. Forget about bad religion because there's bad religion everywhere. Just, like, observe this. Imagine a whole community of people who are learning to trust a story of a better reality about ourselves and about God. That God is not neutral on you or having forgotten about you or against you, but God is for you. Like imagine a community of people who are learning to believe that that's the story that we are a part of, you know? Uh, imagine a community of people who are setting before themselves as an object of devotion the love of God rather than anything lesser than that or smaller than that or more petty than that, right? And imagine a whole community of people who are actively and tangibly practicing these things together through everything from the sacred meal that we call the Eucharist to showing up with buckets of paint to paint walls, right? Imagine a community of people who are doing that. And imagine a community of belonging that is wrestling together through how it is that we make room for everyone across really impossible lines of difference. Like, imagine that and ask yourself, isn't that worth it? Like, isn't that worth giving yourself toward? And so I signed up for my job again that day. Um, in spite of all my own baggage, like, yeah, this I think is worth it. So I want to show you uh, that video that I saw on my phone um, and just remind you that this is uncommon and beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's the video. Um, I almost kind of want to just like sit in that moment forever, you know? Um, but we get to keep creating that moment uh, as a community, and that's the invitation. Uh, I want to ask those who are going to uh, serve you to join me on stage while I prepare for us this tangible practice uh, rooted in a story uh, of God and love, uh, calling us to devotion and calling us to one another. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And later in that same meal, he took a cup and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant, of a new promise. This is a cup of the unending, inexhaustible love of God. So take and drink deeply. And so loving God, I pray that these elements would be for us, your life given for us and for the world that we would bring our whole selves to this sacred meal, knowing that all of us is welcome here. I pray we would remember that uh, each of us and our neighbors and our enemies, that each of us is a divine idea and that the story of that divine idea continues to be written and that we are called to play a part. 
thank you for the uh, unbelievable gift of your love for us and the gift of this community here as we find one another at your table. And I pray through Christ. And we all said, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. The body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And for our local and long distance community members listening to this right now, may you know that this is the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Would you all join us in singing one more time? You can stand if you will. I'm going to sing these words together. Be thou our vision. Twice this week, I took different friends over to the Tribune to give them a quick tour. And on both occasions, uh, the different friends asked some version of the same question, which was basically just like, wow, are you nervous? <laughs> and it, um, I, I said, kind of like, no. And then I thought about that, because maybe I should be. Um, Genuinely, what dawned on me was um, you all have been remarkable. Just like uh, this community keeps teaching me about people's capacity for generosity and faithfulness and bravery and creativity. And um, you can only experience that for so long before you start kind of walking lightly through the world thinking, I think we're going to get away with it, guys. 
And so um, I know at any given moment, um, things beyond our control can happen, but I have a deep and profound gratitude for the people of Southland City Church whose capacity for risk and creativity and sacrifice and care and love uh, make this all possible. Um, so thank you for all that. And whatever you can do, you'll do, and we'll do it together, and that'll be what we need. And the grace of God will fill in the gaps and meet us in these moments and ensure that uh, whatever we've been called to, we'll be given what we need to do it. And so I'm really grateful for the ways that you are the answer to that prayer. So that being said, uh, may you know the good story that you are a part of, that you were a divine idea, that it was only you and your body and life and story through whom God could give to the world the unique thing that God wanted to give us through you. May you also know it for your neighbor, and may you even know it for your enemy. May we give ourselves over to a beautiful community of belonging where Jesus is present in our midst, and we walk forward together, and may we tell more good stories about the good work. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you all. See you next week for our last Sunday here.